We'll hear argument now in number 93-1525, Lebron versus National Railroad Passenger Corporation. Uh, Justice Breyer has asked me to announce that he is in England because his uh, mother-in-law has passed away and the funeral is being held today. But he will participate in the cases argued today. Listen to the arguments on tape. Uh, Mr. Cole. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case asks whether Amtrak was subject to the constraints of the First and Fifth Amendments when it refused to display Michael LeBron's advertisement in Pennsylvania Station, New York, because of its political content. If Amtrak is correct that it is a private actor, then an entity wholly owned by the United States, managed by a U.S.-appointed board, dependent on massive United States subsidies for its very survival, would be constitutionally free to engage in blatant viewpoint discrimination. Mr. Cole, we don't have before us, do we, there any questions whether if Amtrak is indeed a government entity, as you can contend, whether it would be permissible for it to take the action that it did here. That's, that's correct, Your Honor. The, the, the uh, Amtrak's argument is that no matter what its speech policies are, they are not subject to constitutional review uh, because they are not a state actor. And you say they are subject to constitutional review, but the question of if they're subjected to that constitutional review, is it permissible or not, is not before us. That would be decided by the First Circuit, uh, I mean, by the uh, uh, Second Circuit on remand. Mr. Cole, um, in the proceedings and courts below, uh, it appeared to me that uh, your client waived any argument uh, in the nature of a direct argument that Amtrak is a government agency and instead proceeded on a rather different theory. Well, uh, we didn't waive any claim, uh, Your Honor. Uh, this Court held in Yee that one waives claims, not arguments. The claims that we have made from the outset are that Mr. LeBron's First and Fifth Amendment rights were violated because Amtrak is a federal actor. We argued that Amtrak was a federal actor because it is owned and controlled by the United States, the very argument that we are making here today. In the, in the I, I, I understood, at least, that in the courts below, uh, the p- position was taken that uh, we don't contest the fact here that, and make the point that Amtrak is an agency of the federal government. Instead, we say that there was a, a sufficiently close nexus here that uh, we will approach it on a different basis. The, the, in the lower courts, the Second Circuit had held that Amtrak was not a government, governmental entity for uh, various purposes. Uh, we did not contend that Amtrak was a governmental entity as such for statutory purposes, etc. But what we did argue... Are you trying we, to argue that here? No, no. Because for, it, it looks like it. No, for Nothing. statutory purposes, we, we believe that whatever Congress labels uh, Amtrak decides what statutory consequences uh, uh, apply to Amtrak. And, that, and, and the fact that, that Congress said that Amtrak is not a agency, establishment, or department of the United States means that certain laws like the APA, et cetera, the Federal Tort Claims Act would not apply. However, we have always maintained that because this entity is owned and controlled by the United States, it must be subject to the constitutional constraints um, that apply where the government is responsible for uh, 
uh, a particular action. Mr. Cole, I suppose in, in the abstract we could approach the, the issue in either of two ways. We could approach it by asking the question whether for purposes of controlling advertising policy, Amtrak should be regarded as a federal entity, a characterization way of approaching the case, and, and the other way would be to approach it on the assumption, arguendo, that Amtrak is, is private uh, and, and yet ask the question whether the control by the national government through the appointment process and so on uh, is so great uh, that the relationship, the nexus, however you want to call it, is established. Would it make any difference for the outcome of this case, whether we, whether we went the characterization route of, of analysis as distinct from the relationship to the, to the undoubted national government kind of analysis? Uh, no. As long as we believe that the, the question under the state action analysis is, is the government responsible for the conduct that is being challenged? Uh, we believe that when you look at the facts of Amtrak, its ownership and control by the United States, the board, uh, the, the funding, etc., it is the, the government is responsible for this conduct, for the policy that we have challenged here. How, whether you call it private or public is in some way uh, just a label. The, the question of what you're saying, in effect, this is a centaur-like entity that is part government and part not government. It depends on which purpose. Our, our position, Your Honor, is that Amtrak is a, for constitutional purposes, it must be subject, uh, uh, it is a government actor. How about for sovereign immunity purposes? It would not be immune. For, for sovereign immunity purposes, it's not immune because Congress established its, uh, gave it the right to sue and be sued, and therefore it's not immune under the sovereign immunity uh, principles. And, and there are various, stat the, the question of whether an, uh, an entity is an agency determines various statutory things, like whether the APA applies, whether the Federal Tort Claims Act applies, whether procurement laws apply, whether um, uh, uh, financial accounting laws apply. Those are statutory questions to which Congress's label is obviously a very um, central question. The question before this Court, however, is should this entity be constitutionally responsible when it uh, denies advertising in Penn Station on I, the I assume its directors, then, uh, under your theory, would, would have to be appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate. That's a constitutional provision as well. You say this is a... Uh, we say that for, for, for the question of state action, for the question of governmental... No, you said more than that. You said for constitutional issues, right. Congress can't change it by just saying so, and that makes sense to me. But the only constitutional issue in the world is not the First Amendment. There are other provisions of the Constitution, one of which is the Appointments Clause. That's correct. So I assume that the uh, managers of this, uh, of this federal agency uh, would have to be appointed by the President, confirmed by the Senate. Is that right? Well, the track is unconstitutionally established. Well, I think, I think uh, uh, two, two points in response to that, Justice Scalia. First, um, the question of whether it is, Amtrak is constitutionally responsible for the conduct challenged here cannot turn on whether Amtrak is constitutionally composed. We don't argue that it's not constitutionally composed. No, Second I, of all, we I, do believe that it is constitutionally composed because uh, the, the directors of Amtrak are appointed either by the President or by the Secretary of Transportation. Uh, and, and, and would be inferior officers under the Appointments Clause. Inferior officers under the Appointments Clause? Why, why are they inferior officers? Well, the, 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 the Congress has deemed that they shall be appointed by the Secretary of Transportation. Uh, they, um, 
So whenever Congress makes uh, that appointment disposition, the agency automatically becomes an inferior agency, even if it isn't an inferior agency? Or the officers become inferior officers, even if they aren't? I think the, 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 the central point, Your Honor, is that whether Amtrak is constitutionally responsible for its actions, in this case, does not t- turn on whether its board is constitutionally composed. I didn't suggest that, but I'm just exploring the consequences of your thesis that Amtrak is a government agency. One of the consequences, it seems to me, is that it is, it is unconstitutionally composed, which may have consequences elsewhere, though, though not with respect to its First Amendment liability. Well, we believe that, uh, that if, if the Court were to conclude that the officers were inferior officers, it would be, it would be permissibly uh, composed because uh, the executive department, through the President or the Secretary of Transportation, appoints But you, you can see that the executive does not control Amtrak. Nobody but the directors really decide what Amtrak does. Isn't that right? Well, no. Except by a general law. I mean, Congress could pass a law, but they can control a lot of things. Well, no. In fact, uh, the United States owns... Uh, all of Amtrak's preferred shares and has 99 percent of the votes. So the United States, as the, as the essentially the sole shareholder of Amtrak, uh, has the ultimate responsibility for what Amtrak does. In addition, the United States appoints uh, the entire membership of the board. So, but it can't tell those members what to do. It can put, throw out the members and put in right. new members. Right. Ultimately, those members make the decisions. And, that's you know, right. And they are nobody else in the United States government makes the decisions. Right. And, that's right. And no. And, and yet you say these officers are still inferior officers, even though they make the final decision. I'm, we're not taking a position, Your Honor, on whether the board is constitutionally composed or not. What we, be, what we believe is that that question is a separate question from whether it ought to be constitutionally accountable. And certainly, I agree with that. I'm, I'm not okay. questioning that it's a separate well, question. What is, the, what is the tenure of the, of the directors? The, uh, the, the, the directors are appointed to um, a, a range of fixed terms. Some, I, I think, are appointed to two-year terms, some to longer terms. Can they be removed? The, the, the statute is silent as to removal, uh, and so the removal power would presumably be implied uh, under, uh, under the case law. Uh, Amtrak is uh, not only owned by the United States, its board is not only appointed by the United States, it would not be here were it not for uh, massive federal subsidies that Congress has provided through the years. Today, its subsidy is about a billion dollars a year. That's half of what the State Department gets. At six times what the United States Postal Service got in 1994. Its property, valued at $3.4 billion, including Penn Station, was all purchased by the United States with tax dollars. It is subject to governmental obligations, obligations that no private entities are subject to, the Inspector General Act, the Government and Sunshine Act, the FOIA. Congress micromanages Amtrak. It sets goals for its on-time performance, for how fast the the train should go, for who can be appointed as officers and and what they shall be paid, uh, for how much of a profit it ought to make. It only has to cover 61% of its costs. Well, what sort of guideline has Congress set for its its scheduling? It's supposed to, its trains are not supposed to be any later than 15 minutes for each stop, Your Honor. That's by act of Congress. Yes. <laughs> in, in short, this is an, an entity that has no independent will of the do- of I don't understand your point. Your point is that anything that the government micromanages becomes the government? The point is that, you know, in this, this, the purpose of the state action inquiry is to assign governmental responsibility. Ordinarily, in a state action case, you have a, a, a clearly private actor 
and you have some state influence. And the Court's uh, uh, role is to determine whether the state is responsible. Suppose you have enormous state influence. The government, by statute, micromanages a particular industry. Does that industry become the government? By, by, if it's — if the mere fact of regulation, even extensive regulation, the Court has held, is not sufficient to establish state action. But this is not simply a, a question of mere regulation. When you have the board appointed by the, uh, by the United States, you have the ownership of the shares wholly owned by the United States. Board controlled by the United States. You acknowledge that the board votes the way it wants once it's there. The board is ha- — its fiduciary obligation is to the shareholder, the pro- — the, the 99 percent shareholder is the United States. That doesn't mean doing whatever the shareholder wants. You, you have a fiduciary obligation to someone doesn't mean that you have to jump the way that that person tells you. No, that's true. And, and I, I guess the, the question is somewhat, uh, who is the United States? I think ordinarily, as a, ordinarily, the state action inquiry tries to assign responsibility between a private actor and the government. Here, there is no private actor to which the Court could point. In the, in the Court's previous decisions in which it has held that there is no state action, uh, the Court has always pointed to a private entity which is responsible for the action alleged. In Blum, it was private doctors. In Rendell Baker, it was a private school. Uh, in well, Jackson, Cole, may I interrupt you here? I thought the assumption of the argument, since, since you have uh, since you have not proceeded on the, on the basis of the characterization theory, I thought the assumption of the argument was that for the sake of argument, we will assume that Amtrak is private. And the question is whether its connection with the undoubted government, i.e. the President, the, the Secretary of Transportation and so on, uh, is, is such uh, as, as to justify concluding that the action that it takes is ultimately state action. And now you keep speaking, now in your argument you're referring to Amtrak not as a private actor, but in effect as a governmental actor. And if we make that assumption, it's all over. We know what the answer is because we know who, who made the, the choice in this case. Your Honor, I don't think it's a question of assumptions. I think it's a, the court has to look at the objective characteristics of the entity and determine whether it is constitutionally, uh, whether the government is constitutionally responsible for its actions. Um, that is the question. And in order to do that, you have to look at all the facts and circumstances of government ownership. I, I, I agree, but the, the, aren't you kind of sneaking a different kind of approach in, um, not necessarily intentionally here, when, when, you, when you say, well, there isn't a private actor here as distinct from Britain-like cases? Uh, because once you do that, you're saying, well, Amtrak really is not a private actor. For constitutional purposes, we are saying that it, that it ought to be treated as the government. Is, for okay, so that, so that you, are, you are depending in part on the characterization argument here. This is not a Burton case. It is. Uh, this, is this is a case in, in which uh, the person who takes the action, i.e. the vice president here, is an agent of a governmental organization. That's your argument. That is, that, is, that is our first argument, Your Honor. Our, our second argument has, is that Burton, under Burton, the interrelationship between the federal government and this entity is such that it, will, it is a joint participant with the entity, and therefore it is constitutionally responsible. Our third argument is that the uh, federal government is responsible for the policy challenged uh, here because the board, which is solely composed of federally, federal appointees, is responsible for the policy. Well, Burton was a long time ago, Mr. Cole, and it's been distinguished in many successive cases. Uh, I I think there are probably closer and more recent decisions that state uh, the court's view as to what the relationship is on on the state action. 
Well, Burton was a, a long time ago, Your Honor, but Burton has been distinguished in a number of succeeding cases. But it's, it has not been overruled, Your Honor, and, it, and the distinguishing features have always, uh, the, the, court, the cases which have distinguished it are distinguishable from this case. That is, the, the courts that have distinguished it have essentially uh, said, we don't find joint participation here because the federal the government uh, cannot control this entity. The government is not responsible for the conduct. The government is not profiting from the challenged conduct. Here, the government can control the entity. The government controls the entity through its ownership and control. That's the only way that a corporation can be controlled, is through, its own, through ownership and control. The United States owns 99 percent of, of the votes and appoints the entire board. In addition — Well, but then that, that makes it, in many respects, a case that is quite different from Burton. Uh, if, if you have that dominance of the government in the case. It's, it's a much stronger case than Burton. And in fact, um, uh, Amtrak does not suggest that we have not clearly made a showing of joint participation under the Burton test. Rather, well, they is, are. Is there any other case, I'm not aware of one, where you have an agency of this unique character, that is, for some purposes, it's treated like a government agency. For FOIA purposes, it's treated like a government agency. For the Inspector General's Act, it's treated like a government agency. For APA purposes, it isn't. In Burton, you have a private actor, private restaurant owner, in a state building. Um, I don't know of any case that has a unit that is in some respects governmental and some respects not. Is there any other such case? Well, there are, um, there are numerous other entities, federal entities, which are, for all intents and purposes, indistinguishable from Amtrak and which have been treated as state actors. For example, the United States Postal Service, the Tennessee Valley Authority, the FDIC, the Export-Import Bank, all of those are corporations um, who, which are owned and controlled by the government, which have been held to be uh, and treated as, as state actors, but are exempt from numerous laws, statutory laws, that otherwise apply to agencies, procurement laws, um, uh, civil service laws. Those entities are exempt from those laws. So it is not treated as a governmental agency for all purposes, that is, for all statutory purposes, but because those entities are owned and controlled by the government, they are um, treated as federal actors. Have there been any cases where such an agency, where its status as, as a federal actor, state actor, has been challenged successfully? Has been. Well, there have been, there have been many cases where constitutional claims have been adjudicated against such entities, yes. Uh, the, the question of federal action has not arisen uh, uh, directly in this court. For example, FDIC versus Mallon proceeds on the assumption that the FDIC could have violated Mr. Mallon's due process rights. Um, so, so the court has assumed, in this case, in this but court. But the FDIC was distinguished as an entity. It didn't have as many characteristics that arguably could qualify it as private as Amtrak does. Well, it is, uh, I'm not sure about that. The FDIC is, is labeled as a mixed ownership government corporation just as Amtrak is. Um, the FDIC receives no federal funding whatsoever. Amtrak only survives by virtue of its, uh, its massive annual subsidies from Congress. So I think, in fact, Amtrak is more of a government, governmental entity for constitutional purposes uh, than the FDIC. The nature of the, of the challenged action in this case does not particularly help your, 
your state action argument, does it? That is to say, in a case uh, like the preemptory challenge case, we said on, only governments can have juries, only governments can have preemptory challenges. Here, uh, all businesses uh, of a private nature control the speech that's contained. So the, 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 the nature of the action taken here doesn't particularly help you, does it? Uh, the the nature of the function performed the, by the, 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 the nature of the action that you challenge, that is to well, say, uh, regulating the billboard. Well, um, we don't we don't contend that it is a traditional government function. No. Does do you do you think that when someone enters uh, the station, they think I'm in a government building? Enters Penn Station? Yes. Absolutely. And the district court found, in fact, that when you walk through Penn Station, you can't know because Penn Station is shared with other governmental entities, New Jersey Transit and the Long Island Railroad, you can't know whether you're in an area that is controlled by a governmental, uh, clearly, undisputably governmental entity, or Amtrak. In addition, Amtrak itself, I think many people uh, would not uh, uh, know whether Amtrak is governmental or not. When you look at it, it certainly looks governmental. The United States owns uh, virtually all the shares. The United States appoints the whole board. This is, uh, for all intents and purposes, a governmental entity. Mr. Cole, is it your position that the government cannot acquire a private company without making that private company the government? I mean, suppose the, the government, for instance, some years ago made a, a major loan to Chrysler Corporation. Now, suppose uh, Chrysler had defaulted and the government had taken over ownership, private ownership of Chrysler Corporation. Would Chrysler Corporation have become the government? Yeah, our, our position, yes, if Chrysler Corporation were nationalized, then it would be a government. Nationalized, the government just gets the stock in a bankruptcy proceeding, just as a private individual could, could, could get the stock. Our position is that when... I mean, we've, we've normally maintained in, in, in the common law a distinction between uh, the corporation and the owner of the corporation, uh, well, right? And, well, and why can't you do that and why shouldn't you do that with respect to government ownership just as you do with respect to private ownership? Well, I think the question uh, uh, with a corporation is, with any corporation, is how should, should you treat it as governmental or should you treat it as private? If the, if the corporation is controlled, is owned by 51 percent private uh, shareholders, um, has a 51 percent um, private majority board, uh, then it is, you can say that responsibility for its actions are are in the private realm unless there is something more which would establish state action. Where, on the other hand, the government has a controlling interest both in ownership and in appointment of the board, there's no, there's no private entity to which you can point which is responsible for the actions alleged. And, and, this, and the, the Congress has recognized this. With respect to virtually every other corporation, um, it has uh, acknowledged that those corporations which it owns in whole and um, and whose boards it appoints, are wholly owned government corporations, are treated as agencies, and would clearly be state actors. Those entities which, which Congress supports, which are privately owned, privately run, like the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, Sally Mae, etc., those are treated as private entities and ought to be treated as private entities because they are privately owned, they are privately run. The only governmental involvement there is the government has a minority um, uh, representation on the board, usually three of 15 members of the board. But where an entity is controlled and owned by the United States, and I think a, a, a perfect example is the Rural Telephone Bank. The Rural Telephone Bank is a mixed uh, uh, corporation. There is private ownership and there is governmental ownership. And the way that Congress has set that entity up, 
is that as long as the United States owns 51 percent of the shares, its board is, appoint, is, is a majority government appointees with some private representation, uh, and it is owned by the government. As soon as 51 percent of the shares switch over to private ownership, then the governmental appointees from the board drop down to a very small number, and majority ownership, majority control of the board is uh, lodged in a private majority board, and it is no longer an agency of the government. So Congress itself has recognized that the question of ownership and control is central to how you treat uh, an entity. And it has, and many government corporations are privately owned, privately run, like the government-sponsored enterprises. Is your your test that whenever the government has 51 percent control, it becomes a a government actor? Our test, Your Honor, is that you have to look at all the facts and circumstances. Well, the 51 percent is not in itself enough, then. Well, we, we believe that in this case, uh, all the facts... I know all what you facts, believe in this case. Right. I'm just asking you, are you adopting a test that 51 percent is enough in all cases? Uh, our position, yes. Our position would you be... Are, the answer is yes. Our position would be that if the United States owns a controlling, uh, has a controlling ownership of the shares or uh, appoints a controlling uh, majority of the are, board... Are there a lot of federal uh, savings and loan associations around the country that are now government actors? That, no, uh, the federal savings and loan associations would be privately uh, would be considered private actors under that test. The only entities that would be considered governmental actors under that test are those which are essentially wholly owned government corporations, and essentially with Amtrak. Well, Congress essentially, fifty-one percent owned. Is that what you're saying? I, I'm, I, I thought you said fifty-one percent. That's right. That's right. Because you're, you're not saying wholly owned. Then. That's right. Because the state action inquiry is about responsibility. Well, what, it's not about sole responsibility. What about the converse of that proposition? If the ownership is less than 50 percent, does that mean it is, it is not a government actor? That means that the ownership and control in, in and of themselves are not sufficient to make it a government actor. Of course, if there is, uh, in addition, there are factors which uh, support state action, such as compul- state compulsion of the particular conduct, then it might be a state actor. I'd like to reserve the rest of my time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Cole. Mr. Bain, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The question in this case is whether it is fair to say that the government was responsible for Amtrak's decision to reject the petitioner's political ad. Under a realistic view of the facts of this case, the answer to that question is no. The Court will not find the fingerprints of any government official on that decision, nor will it find the shadow of any government regulation on Amtrak's policy. Well, I take it the Board of Directors of Amtrak would have had authority to set the policy for advertising if they if they thought it worth their time and, and, and attention? Yes, that is correct. Uh, there so is no ev- So really, you, you, you can attribute to the directors of the corporation uh, the, the acts of its subordinate officers, can't you? The board was responsible. In fact, the board did not know of the policy, but it did have responsibility. Suppose, suppose, it, had, suppose it had adopted the policy. Would the result then be any different? It wouldn't make any difference. The mere fact that the president appoints... Then I'm not sure why we're talking about them, but... Why wouldn't it have made a difference? Suppose the board of directors said, this will be our policy, and they had a policy which was highly restrictive of certain forms of speech. It would make no difference. The fact that the president appoints the board of directors does not make Amtrak a government instrumentality. The Court has faced that question directly once and indirectly another time. In the Conrail case, the Regional Rail Reorganization Act cases, the Court dealt with Conrail. Well, well, just just before we get there, I just just want to ask whether or not, isn't it fair for us to assign this policy to the directors? Yes. Thank you. 
And my point is that it doesn't make any difference because in the Regional Rail Reorganization Act cases, the Court was confronted with the question whether or not the government's appointment of Conrail's board of directors, and Conrail was an entity very much like Amtrak, formed for the same purpose and with the same structure. And the Court said that the fact that the President appointed board members did not make Conrail a government entity. Uh, In FCC against League of Women Voters, the Court faced the same question indirectly. It was dealing with the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And every member of the board of directors of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting (laughs) is appointed by the President. But the Court didn't think that that made the Corporation part of the government. In fact, quite to the contrary, the Court's opinion emphasized that the Corporation was intended to provide insulation against government interference in the affairs of the stations that received money from the Mr. Corporation. Mr. Bain, was there some legislative change regarding Amtrak after the date of the Conrail decision to which you referred? There were a number of changes. There was a change pertaining to Amtrak after, the, after that case. However, there what was... What was that change? Well, there were several changes. The board composition was changed slightly and the ownership was changed slightly. In, the Conrail, in what respects were they changed? Uh, the, the United States acquired uh, an ownership interest and uh, appointed more board members. In, in Conrail, however, at the time, the board, in f- the, the United States, in fact, was able to control the majority of the board. Um, the petitioner has made the point that Conrail wasn't really functioning yet, and so we shouldn't pay too much attention. In any case, to the it Conrail would be a case. stronger, stronger case after the Conrail decision than before because of those legislative changes. They well, tended in favor of a finding of, of governmental color to this entity, not against it. Well, but they didn't change the issue that the Court addressed in the the Conrail case, which was whether or not appointment of board members by the President made an entity a part of the government. Uh, The most important fact, I think, to bear in mind here is that... Mr. Bain, um, do you take the position that the plaintiff waived the argument below about the direct question, is Amtrak a government agent? We most certainly do. And this is not a case, as in Yee, in which a party simply failed to raise a question or failed to raise an argument. The argument and the question was specifically raised and explicitly waived and conceded. So what do we do with it here? We address the government function inquiry, the close nexus inquiry, or something I think of that the court, sort? I think the Court should address the case on the basis upon which it was presented to the Court of Appeals. It would come as a surprise, I would think, to the Court of Appeals to learn that its judgment was going to be reversed on the basis of an argument that was explicitly conceded. And so we May say I, the question. May, all right. May I ask, in making that analysis, whether it is the same analysis we would make if it were a question of, for instance, uh, state sovereignty, asking whether it's an arm of the state for state sovereignty. Purposes. Is it the same analysis? I don't think it's precisely the same. I think this Court has on a number of occasions faced the argument that the petitioner is making, that by virtue of a close relationship between the government and an entity that is nominally not the government, there is state action. What the Court has said is that when that argument is made, the proper inquiry is whether the relationship between the government and the otherwise private entity affected the decision or the policy that's under review. The fact that the government might appoint board members here, or that there might be some other connections, at the very most would suggest that it's conceivable that the government might have exerted some influence. Mr. That Bain. only frames the question. Mr. Baines, the second question presented in the petition for certiorari is whether the Court of Appeals erred in holding that Amtrak's asserted policy 
uh, was not state action. Uh, are you saying that the uh, petitioner in this court has to just stick with exactly the same arguments in which he lost in the Court of Appeals? I wouldn't go quite that far, but I would say that it would be uh, inappropriate to permit the, permissioner, the petitioner to raise an argument that he explicitly conceded and that the district court and the Court of Appeals where the District Court and the Court of Appeals relied upon that concession. The petitioner said, we do not argue that Amtrak is a government entity, but we accept that it is, generally speaking, a private entity. But does any factual determination or factual inquiry turn on, turn on that statement? I mean, were, were factual findings uh, avoided? Or, uh, it, it seems to me it, it was just an argument not made that perhaps could have been made. And I don't see why, since it's the same claim, basically, he, the petitioner can now make it here. If the argument had not been explicitly waived, the evidence might well have been different. But I'm perfectly happy to address the merits of the argument. I think well, the merits... I also ask this, uh, along with the Chief Justice's question, did you uh, claim any waiver in your brief in opposition to the cert petition? No, because the petition for certiorari does not make the explicit argument that's made for the first time in the brief on the merits. No, but it's, it's that it was embraced within the, the question the Chief Justice quoted, wasn't well, it? Well, there, there are two questions here. One is whether it's fairly embraced if you read the question very generously to the petitioner, and that might be so, but our point is different. Our point is if you're going to read it that generously, you're going to read it to include an argument that was explicitly withdrawn from the case in the Court of Appeals. But I'm prepared to address the question in case the Court does entertain Mr. Bain, it. It's, it's easy to concede this is not a government agency for the Federal Tort Claims Act purposes. It is not a government agency for purposes of APA purposes. But where is there a concession that this is not a government actor for purposes of constitutional limitations? Well, I would simply direct the Court's attention to the petitioner's brief in the District Court and the Court of Appeals, in which they said they do not contend that Amtrak is a government entity, but rather a private entity so interrelated to federal entities that it should be treated as a state actor here. Now, if the question is presented whether or not this is a federal agency or instrumentality for all purposes, our answer to that question is no for three reasons. First, because Congress very unambiguously said that the entity they were creating was not to be considered part of the government. Second, because this Court said in the Pass Rider case, Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe case, that Amtrak is not a governmental entity, but rather a private corporation. And third, because there were valid and legitimate reasons why Congress said that Amtrak should not be a part of the government. And indeed, today, Amtrak has important features that are not at all like a government agency and that are very much like a business. Mr. Would Dane. You, would you agree with the characterization I suggested before, that this is a centaur-like uh, entity that it is part private, part government? One could call it quasi-public in the sense that that word is sometimes used to refer to corporate entities. There are aspects of Amtrak that one could say are public in the sense that public rides the trains, and it's certainly true that the government regulates Amtrak and has the other relationships that we've been talking about. But our position is that if you have an entity that arguably has some features that may be governmental and some that are private, the appropriate question is, what about the action or the policy that we're talking about here? Is that influenced by the fact that the government's involved? And the answer to that is clearly no. The policy against Mr. political Bain, advertising... Can I test your hypothesis with a, with a rather unlikely hypothetical question? Certainly. Assume that the board, viewing itself as totally private, like it adopted a policy of accepting advertisements only from Presbyterians and Democrats, they're an extreme example, and would refuse all other advertising. 
Congress disapproves of this policy and passes a law and says you do not have the freedom to make that kind of decision. You must act neutrally in all cases. Would that statute be constitutional? I think not if it's a totally private entity. We would begin the analysis with the question whether or not Amtrak has any First Amendment rights, and we would say that it does. And then we would ask whether or not there was a compelling state interest that justified the legislation that said Amtrak couldn't discriminate in that sense. And that case could come out either way. It really wouldn't affect this question. Uh, but we would contend that Amtrak does have First Amendment rights in the same way that its competitors have. Well, if it, if it has the same rights that the competitor, if private competitors have, it could make, engage in a policy of selective advertising that could not be overruled by statute. That may be. Yeah. But uh, it is a far-fetched hypothetical. And in fact, the policy in this case is that Amtrak wanted very much to stay away from all matters of controversy, to, limp, to avoid any suggestion that they're favoring one side or the other in political debate and have no political advertising whatsoever. Uh, and we think that's a policy choice they ought to be able well, to make. Well, but that goes to the merits. What Justice Stevens presents is, is, is the specter of a corporation that is beyond Congress's control, a corporation that, on the one hand, Congress funds, subsidizes, and uh, controls the appointment of 100 percent of its directors, but uh, on, the, on the other hand, it, it cannot be controlled by the Congress? That well, under, Ru- un- under Rust against Sullivan, I think that Congress would have the power to control the expenditure of public funds. And if the concern here is that Amtrak receives government funds and might misuse government funds in a way that the Congress thought was inappropriate, I think Congress would have greater ability to restrict Amtrak's use of those funds than it would have an ability to restrict the use of American Airlines well, funds, which are not coming off from the government. The use of government funds that involved a, a revenue-generating policy, generating revenues only from selective uh, advertising. Then it might be immune. Uh, but I, couldn't you say that anybody who receives government funds uh, shall not engage in the following practices? I thought we do that all the time. I thought the, uh, there, there's no question that if, if the if the activity involves the expenditure of government funds, I think it's clear that the answer is the government could regulate. If the question is it doesn't involve the expenditure of government funds at all, I think it would be a question that would that would be hotly debated. But uh, the activity in question, as opposed to the institution, even if the government subsidizes Amtrak, it can't say any institution that gets a government subsidy shall not engage in these forms of discrimination. Surely you could say that. It, it, it has it, to be it, particular it, activity? It wouldn't be of any great concern to Amtrak if the case came out that way. And no doubt the petitioner would be arguing that's exactly the way it should come out. Uh, I said before Let's that, take a case without any regulation. Suppose Amtrak says we don't want any leafleting in Penn Station. And that's challenged as in violation of the First Amendment. And this Court's decision involving the Port Authority Terminal is cited by the plaintiffs as precedent. Could Amtrak have a policy that says no leafleting on these premises? Amtrak could have such a policy. The important point to bear in mind, I think, is that Amtrak is uh, continuing in the same business of the railroads that it succeeded. And it is important, and it's desirable, it seems to me, that Congress have the flexibility to approach crises in the, in the business world to essentially reorganize or restructure an industry, as it did in this case, without necessarily saddling the enterprise that results with all of the obligations of government. Amtrak's competitors in the airlines and the bus companies are not required to observe all of the requirements of the Constitution. And it is important that Amtrak be able to compete on an even playing field. If we look at Amtrak's function, we see that its function is commercial, not governmental. It doesn't govern in any sense of the word. It doesn't make policy. It doesn't regulate business. It is a business. 
If we look at its structure, that sounds like it describes the Bank of the United States, which was given governmental, intergovernmental immunity in McCulloch versus Maryland. Well, the function, of the, gov- the function of the entity is significant. It is not the only factor, but it is significant. And you think fact- McCulloch versus Maryland was correctly decided? I think I have to say yes. <laughs> I don't want to bite off too much. We'll accept McCulloch versus Maryland. But there are, there are many things about Amtrak that are not at all governmental. Its structure is a structure of a private corporation that makes a difference. There are private shareholders who contributed private capital to the formation of this company. It is managed by a board of directors who are, for the most part, except for two people, private citizens, not public officials. They don't take an oath to support and defend the Constitution. They assume a fiduciary duty to try to operate this business as a business and to try to make money. The management and control of this corporation is in the hands of its board not the United States government. There is not a shred of evidence in the record that the government, the president, the secretary of transportation has ever attempted to interfere in the day-to-day operations of Amtrak. And there's certainly no evidence that the government... Does it have to be day-to-day operation? I mean, does the, does the management have to be that precise in order to qualify? There's no evidence that the government has interfered in the operation at all, except insofar as... I, pre- I, the presume, the, I presume the governmental officers uh, take into consideration the... Uh, the, the policy choices which the directors make or support when they decide whether or not to reappoint directors or, 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 to anti- or that they anticipate those policies when they appoint them in the first place. That's not enough? Well, one of the things that might have been different if the petitioner made that's, the argument... That's not enough, I take it? No, I don't think that's enough. enough. So it's, it's basically got to be day-to-day management before the, uh, before the nexus is close enough? Well, I think, in fact, there ought to be some evidence that the government cared about Amtrak's advertising policy. And if there are some things about Amtrak that may arguably be governmental and some that are commercial, this surely falls on the commercial side of the line. You say the government cared. I mean, if the President of the United States said, I think it's appalling uh, that there are political advertisements in Amtrak stations, would that be enough? That probably would be enough, but it depends on how you read. What if the director said, too bad, we like it? That would show the independence. But the point is that... No, but I mean, the, the, the criterion can't be whether the government cares or not. The, the criterion has got to be some criterion of control, hasn't it? I think there are two ways to look at it. Well, we doesn't, it doesn't it have to be a criterion of control? I would say yes. And the and only I, question is, how precise must the control be? Must they be micromanagers or macromanagers? Isn't well, when the court has faced the question in the past that because of a relationship between the government and another entity, their state action, the court has asked the question whether or not the government exercises any control, overt or covert, over the particular decision that is at issue in the case. And that surely did not happen here. The petitioner is taking the position that even though the government had nothing whatsoever to do with this particular policy, indeed, it's not even a case in which the government acquiesced in a policy because there's no evidence that it even knew about it. But the petitioner takes the position that even though that is the case, the government's domination of Amtrak is so complete that we must assume that everything it does is governmental. Are you willing to accept de facto control as, as the criterion? I mean, I, I, I can imagine a, a lot of entities, including, for example, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, um, uh, the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, uh, many private institutions that are so dependent upon federal subsidies, for example, that if it, if it becomes pretty clear that the federal government wants something to be done, they will do it, lest they, lest they lose their subsidies. Do, 
Is that enough to make that? that no, it isn't. The only thing we accept. That's control. The only thing. De facto control. The only thing we accept is that if the government, in fact, exercised control over the particular decision, then there would be state action. So it isn't just, just the ability to control that, that, that you're arguing. It is the exercise of control. That is correct. The ability to control frames the question, and the question is, was the ability exercised? Well, but, Mr. Bain, what do you do with cases like Monroe against Pape, with the city of Chicago certainly didn't approve or know about what the police officers were doing, but nevertheless was treated as state action? Well, the police officers put, are... Put people in a position where they can act as though they were the government. And here, I guess, Amstrak has quite a bit of authority to act in an important way. But we regard government officials as the government, and we always have. And the question here is whether or not Even anybody... Even though they're Amstrak acting even though they're acting beyond their, their... That's the way we've always viewed it, and I don't think that that affects this case in any way. Well, does it make... Do you think it makes a difference in this case that Amtrak inherited this policy from Penn Central and did nothing about it, as opposed to having initiated it itself? I think it underscores the degree to which this is not a governmental action or policy at all. The case would come out the same way if Amtrak formulated the policy, but the fact that it was formulated by the Pennsylvania Railroad underscores that it's the kind of decision that is a business decision. It's not governmental at all. I'm just puzzled by the concept that an action is governmental or non-governmental based on the indifference of its directors. I, I just don't understand the no. legal... The, I'm not, I'm not, I, if I, if I suggested that, I didn't mean to suggest that. What I mean is, by its very nature, it is not governmental. That's the point that I was trying to make. Uh, the board, no question, has the, has the ability to control that policy. But it is very important, I think, to underscore the point that the Court has never suggested that the mere fact that the government may have the power to appoint board members makes the entity a governmental entity. And I think that would be a very incorrect um, statement to make. There's no evidence in the record that anybody on the board has ever buckled under the pressure of a president. Uh, judges are appointed by presidents, and some judges are appointed for something other than fixed, other than life terms, for fixed terms. It would be unreasonable to assume that these board members would violate their fiduciary duty and take an action that's not taken for the business interests of the corporation, but rather to promote some political or governmental objective. If that is the theory of Don't the case... Don't you see some difference between the, the Secretary of the Department of Transportation as the government's person on this board and a judge appointed under Article 3 in terms of affiliation with the government? The Secretary has a, a continuing relationship to the President in a way that, that uh, judges do not, and that is true. But the point is The President that is the master of this, the, the Secretary. One member of the board, and, and well, not, not of any taken, of the others. He's also taken an oath under the Constitution, and I, I find it rather, rather odd to say that uh, we could say, oh, this is a business decision and, and we are not going to allow our governmental character to influence the policies that we make. I think that's, I thought that's exactly why they sit in the board. One government official, one federal government official sits on the board. The board is composed primarily of private citizens who are appointed by the president but who are in fact initially selected by other bodies. Do you think in that capacity that is official, the, uh, the secretary is, is free to make any judgment he wishes with reference to matters of speech? I think he's entitled to vote the way he feels his fiduciary duty uh, compels him to vote. And I don't think the mere fact that one of the board members also serves as Secretary of Transportation makes the board's decision a government decision. Are, 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 are constitutional policies any part of that consideration? 
Well, I think, th- I, I think they're certainly part of the consideration, but when one out of nine members of a board has taken an, oblig- a, 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 an oath to uphold the Constitution, that doesn't affect the way the other eight think. Nor is it fair to assume. No, I, I thought your position was he's, he's entirely upholding the Constitution when he allows a private entity to behave like a private entity. Well, we would certainly. You, you would say the secretary is violating his oath of office when he allows a private entity, uh, which he's been placed in charge of, to uh, to act like a private entity. No, I don't think that he would. I, th- I think that he obviously has in the back of his mind some sense of his other job, I suppose. But when he sits on that board. He has to function like a board member, and he has to ask himself, how are we going to run this board like a business? And he certainly does not violate his oath when he, when he, when he in fact, carries out his obligation as a board member. The Court has considered the question whether or not Amtrak is a governmental actor uh, for purposes of a due process challenge in the Pass Rider case. The question in that case was whether certain agreements entered into by Amtrak were governmental agreements such that when Congress came along later and impaired the obligations of those contracts, it had impaired the obligations of the United States. And the Court said, no, that's not the case. Amtrak is not part of the United States. Those contracts are not obligations of the United States. They're obligations of a private entity. The label that that Congress placed on Amtrak was not a mere label. It has meaning and it has consequences. In fact, it's an instruction to Amtrak that it is not to regard itself as part of the government. And it's also an instruction to the government that it's not to think that it can exercise control over Amtrak's affairs. It's a statement that Amtrak doesn't speak for the government, and the government is not generally bound by what Amtrak says. At the very least, this statement by Congress means that Amtrak and the government are separate entities, and as a general matter, the government is not responsible for what Amtrak does. Can you give an example of another private entity that is subject to the FOIA and to the Inspector General's Act? I don't know that I can give uh, a list of entities that are subject, but this, the fact that this FOIA doesn't apply to the private sector, does it? In general, it doesn't. And I think it does show that Congress was not simply acting blindly. Congress recognized that there are some things about Amtrak that suggests that it ought to ask whether or not certain statutory policies apply. And in the case of FOIA, it decided it would be a good idea if the public could examine uh, Amtrak's affairs and be able to learn about how it In some respects, this was a public and not a private corporation. In some... At least for that respect, for purposes of the Freedom of Information Act. Yes. And for purposes, and also under the Inspector General's Act, do you know any private entity that is subject to that legislation? No, but in the Inspector General Act, the, the Congress said we're doing this, but we recognize that Amtrak is not part of the government. What the statement by Congress that has been accepted by this Court means is that as a general matter, the government is not responsible. There may be some instances where the government is responsible for what Amtrak does, but we would suggest that those instances are instances in which the government has either by law or by regulation or by exercise of coercion or influence, had some impact on Amtrak's decision. And that is not the case here. This is a case of government inaction. Insofar as this policy was concerned, the government was completely inactive and uninterested. And that is why the argument until the briefs in this court has been that there's government action under the theory of Burton, which was a case in which, under very unusual circumstances, this court did hold 
that the government's inaction amounted to action. Burton has never been applied beyond the limited factual setting in which it occurred, and the last place to apply it would be in a case involving the First Amendment, where the constitutional command essentially is to be inactive and to leave the decisions regarding speech to private entities. The position that we think is supported by the cases is that in a case like this, when there is evidence that the government has in fact influenced or affected the decision that took place, it is fair to say that the government is responsible. But when the government has not had any influence whatsoever over the particular action, in those cases, when Amtrak has made a decision for purely business reasons, it ought to have the same freedom to act that its competitors enjoy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Bain. Mr. Cole, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Um, going up back to Mr. Chief Justice Rehnquist's uh, question regarding the private uh, initiation of this policy, the case that is closest to this case is the Girard College case, in which a privately founded, privately funded, privately um, uh, uh, funded institution was run by a board of government appointees. And this court found that the private founder's policy of uh, limiting admission to white males was state action because the board was responsible for that policy. The board didn't adopt that policy, but the board was responsible. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court found that the board was not a governmental entity because the city had specifically disavowed any relationship to the board through its city charter. The Supreme Court uh, did not find that um, uh, compelling, and, and that, I think, underscores that the, that the case is not to be decided by labels. Perhaps you can remind me, were, were the, the trustees of Gerard College ex officio members, or were they a, simply private people that were appointed by the city? They were, uh, it was a, they were appointed by the government. Uh, they were not, they, it was only, it was a board of trustees of the city of Philadelphia. And, but the city of Philadelphia had said that this board, although we appoint the trustees, this board does not constitute a city uh, entity. This court said we don't decide by labels. In West versus Atkins, the doctor who was held to be a state actor was not a government employee. This court said we don't decide by labels. In Cherry Cotton Mills, the Reconstruction Finance Corporation, the question was should it be treated as the United States for counterclaim purposes? Congress had labeled it a corporation. This court said that the fact that Congress called it a corporation does not make it something other than what it actually is, an agency selected by the government to serve governmental purposes. Government today is increasingly doing business through the corporate form, bringing business principles into government. And the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, you think that's uh, governmental too? I think the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is a, is a, is a difficult question. Its board well, is wholly... What do you think the answer is? Well, its board is wholly appointed by the United States. Um, however, there are um, fairly stringent statutory... Uh, guarantees of independence. And I think the question would be whether those statutory guarantees of independence, which provide that the board members cannot be chosen on political basis and that no political uh, person can affect the, the running of that corporation in any way. What difference does that make? I mean, you, you, you have... Uh... Well, the, the question, because the question, Your Honor, is whether there is an independence, a sufficient independence to this entity that it should not be treated the as The board members are appointed by government officials. Right. And we, we think... There we, and here. 
That's right. And we believe that ordinarily where the government appoints the board, it ought to be treated as a state actor. As this Court has held, all state action cases depend on the facts and circumstances of the case, and because of the statutory designation with respect to the Corporation of Public Broadcasting, might be a different question. That's not a question posed here. Thank you, Mr. Cole. The case is submitted.